Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Please open up to the book of Joel. Title of tonight's message is, Are You Serious? And I ask myself that question sometimes, am I serious? And I don't mean in my day-to-day activities, but in my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I serious? Am I who I say I am? And am I who I want to be? Um, am I understanding the times and the things that God is showing me through His Word? Am I serious about that? Or am I so caught up in the world and in everything that's going on, just in the daily things that happen in life, that I lose sight of what God is trying to say to me? And I ask you that same question. Is that, is that same thing going on in your life? So we're going to look at the book of Joel in a, in a second, but what I want you to do is hold your place there and go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Just hold your place in Joel. And we believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think that's something we all believe, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1, It says, now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Then it goes on and and goes over the many blessings, and we're not going to get into that chapter tonight, but I want you to flip over to verse 14. I'm going to pick up there of Deuteronomy 28. So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed you shall be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. And the last verse we're going to look at right now is verse 20. The Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. You can go back to Joel right now. So here's pretty heavy stuff in Deuteronomy that God is saying to Israel. And it is to Israel that he was talking to. But my question is this, to you and to me, 
Most of us, I believe, in here are Gentiles. We're non-Jews. Does that apply to you and to me today? Is that something that we can take that if we obey the Lord, there'll be certain consequences, and if we disobey the Lord, there'll be certain consequences? And that's where I go back to that verse. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And my answer to that question is yes. There, is, there are consequences in obeying the Lord, and there's consequences in disobeying the Lord. And God doesn't want us to be roller coaster Christians. He doesn't want us to go up and down in our walk with Him. But He wants us to trust Him and walk along with Him steadily. Yes, trials, tribulations, things that come into our life will definitely try to throw us off our walk with Him. But as you mature, as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, you'll be thrown off less and less. So as we turn to the book of Joel, chapter 1, one of the things that we have to always understand is when we open up the Scriptures, God is showing us things that have happened in the past and how He was in it. And there's going to be things in every part of the Bible you read that apply to the present. And God is in that too. But understand that God is also a God of the future, and He's in that, and He knows what's coming. And He wants you and I to know what's coming. And that's very important as we look into the book of Joel, of those things that God wants us to know. Now, our world says that the only way that things can be solved in today's society with everything that's going on is a unification of a world system. Economically, religiously, politically, if we're all on the same page, there's going to be peace. You know, they've tried everything over the centuries and nothing's worked. So they're running out of things that they can try. So one of the things that we see in the end times is a unification. I want you to keep these things in mind as we start reading the book of Joel and some of the things that are going on. So let's jump in and see what the Lord has for us tonight. Verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. God's word is coming forth tonight to you and to me. When you open up your Bible today or you open up tomorrow, God's Word is coming forth to you and to me. Joel, the name, means Jehovah is God. That's pretty cool. Jehovah is God. You and I, as believers in Jesus, say Jesus is Lord. You know, we confess with our mouth. We believe in our heart that He's risen from the dead. Here in his name, Jehovah is God. As we have a testimony of a man we know very little about. We know his dad was Bethuel, whose name means vision of God. We know he, Joel, was a prophet to the southern part of Israel, known as Judah in this time. But that's pretty much all we know about him. That's it. Besides this, 
Book of Joel, that's all we know. How important is it what people know about you and me? Is it important to you what they know about you? Is it important to me about what they know about me? Or is it important what they know about the Lord? To Joel, thousands of years later, here we're reading it in 2015. And we'll find out some things about what's going on at the time of Joel. But more importantly, it's also a prophetic book that reaches into the future, into the end times. Will we have ears to hear and eyes to see those things? Not only of the way God worked in the past and has worked in the present, but also what he wants to do in the future. Verse 2, hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers? In Matthew and Mark, and I've already mentioned a couple times tonight, do we have ears to hear? Are we alert to those things that God is trying to tell us in our lifetime, in our daytime, in our nighttime tonight? Are we alert? And here, Joel is trying to reach out to the people in Judah, again, the southern part of Israel. Back then it was Judah and Israel was the northern kingdom. Judah was the southern kingdom. Today we know it is all is Israel. But back then, Joel was sent to Judah where other prophets were sent to the northern kingdom. Why? Why were prophets sent? Well, to educate, to alert, to give people an opportunity to hear and listen and live according to what God is showing them. No different than you and I here tonight. To hear, to listen, to apply it to our lives, to have it make a difference in our walk with the Lord. Truly, it is a waste of time, isn't it, if we come at any time to open up God's Word, whether it's by, by ourselves or here in a church, that we don't allow it to penetrate our hearts and change us. God is never through with us. doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. doesn't matter how long you've been born again. God isn't through with you and me yet. He continues, wants to work on us. But I believe he also wants to prepare us. Not to scare us, but to prepare us. For what is in our life and in our future. And notice here, Joel is telling these people, He's saying the things that are going on that you're experiencing at this time of your life, back in these days, has anything ever happened like this before? Has it ever happened that you can remember, and maybe with your mom and dad, did they ever tell you that anything like this has ever happened before? And then in verse 3 it says, Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. They didn't have the technology we had. They didn't have the newspapers and things like you and I have. Most of their knowledge came by passing it down through their families at the dinner table to one generation to another. Think about any of us who had grandparents or have grandparents. Think about when you were growing up, if your grandparents were still alive and they might have told you stories of their life when they were little, growing up, and you had a little connection with history of the past. 
And how many of you now that are older wish you listened a little more intently to those older folks? I know my dad, he was a colonel in the army. Boy, I would love to talk to him now about the things that are going on in our world with the knowledge that he had as a military man. But I took it for granted. I didn't dig, I didn't try to find out more knowledge from him. And now I have all those questions about World War II and Pearl Harbor that he experienced. But now I can only get my knowledge from a book instead of from a person. How much does something like this keep us from interacting with each other and some of the experiences that people have had? We need to get back to communicating with our fellow human beings on a face-to-face -face level to see where they came from and let them know where you've come from. To break down those barriers that I believe are being created by this device. This is very good if it's used in a proper way, but it can definitely be, build a wall between us and relationships. And now we get into a section of what actually took place back here in Judah. Verse 4, what the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. Holy mackerel. They didn't leave anything around, did they? There was a progression of destruction. There was a level where there were things left and, some, and another locust came and ate it. And one of the things in the study of this, it's almost a progression of the aging of a locust, going from chewing to swarming to crawling to consuming, just the different stages. I don't know if you've ever seen an individual locust, and hopefully if you haven't seen a whole swarm of them. But it's a very fascinating-looking bug or insect. So i got a question for you tonight. I think it's still October 28th, 2015. What's bugging you? What's bugging you tonight? What's gnawing at you? What's, what's swarming around you, maybe in your head? What's creepy crawling that's, that's, you know, throwing you off kilter a little bit? Verse 5 says, Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it has been cut off from your mouth. Instant Soberville. When locusts come and destroy a crop, and one of the things they were doing, it, they were, it was in the season of the grapes and the harvest, grapes used to make wine, there wasn't going to be any new wine. Once they drank the old wine, it was gone. There was devastation. There was a sobering reality. Back in these days, like today, Drugs, alcohol, things that numb your mind to keep you from the reality of God's Holy Spirit touching you. People getting drunk, people smoking weed, people snorting dope. Whatever's going on out there, 
It's desensitizing our youth. It's desensitizing our middle age, our older people, from God trying to touch them, to reach them, to ignite their spirit because he loves us and he loves this world that's becoming desensitized by everything that's going on. Verse 6, For a nation has come up against my land, strong and without number. His teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he has the fangs of a fierce lion. Now, as we read in chapter 1 of Joel, understand that there was a locust plague that went on. There was a destruction of the crops. And remember, most of the people here made their living through agriculture. So there was a loss of produce. There was a loss of money because of the produce that could not be sold anymore. People had planted their crops or had their seeds in the ground. And any seeds that weren't eaten because they haven't sprung up yet, well, when the spring came, there was all those different locusts that were still being produced and moving that what one missed, the next swarm got. So it was a time of devastation and destruction. But understand, earlier in the scriptures, that one of the things that God did because he loved the people so much is when they turned from him, he would get their attention. He would shake them to wake them. He would try to get their attention to turn them back to him. And I still believe that today, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's shaken our world. He's shaken our country. He's shaken us to wake us. Hopefully you and I are awake. Hopefully we're not in that majority where we're going to be caught sleeping. That he's going to come like a thief in the night. That we're alert. But understand there are billions of people that are sleeping. They're not alert. They're spiritually drunk. They're spiritually devastated. And you and I, God has left on this earth to make an impact on them. Whether it's one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two, whatever it is. So in this verse 6, this nation, one of the things Islam talks about is the locust is God's army. The locust is God's army. Isn't that interesting? That they would say something like that. And here in this particular chapter, we see them being compared to a nation that's come up against the land to devastate it. But again, remember, this is an actual insect. Millions of these locusts have come into the area of Judah and just destroyed everything. As this book of Joel progresses as we go into the other chapters. It is prophetic about an army that will come one day and devastate the land, the land of Israel. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Pastor Joe is speaking about Daniel, and I know with the youth we're in the book of Revelation, and I think many of you are aware right now that for the first time in probably over 50, close to 50 years or more, that Russia controls the airspace in the Middle East. They have air bases. They have ports with ships in Syria. They're joining forces with Iran. They're right on the border of Israel. 
Ezekiel 38 is lining up pretty good right now with the nations of, of the north of Israel coming together and coming down closer and closer to Israel. So we're going to see in Joel that there is going to be an army one day like locusts that are going to come in and devastate the land. Verse 7. He has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. Remember, uh, Jesus said he was the vine, we're the branches, but also in the scriptures, the vine, the fig tree, is also connected with Israel. Okay, let's not lose sight that our timetable, our time clock, is not the United States of America. It's what's going on over in Israel. That's the time clock. Okay, throughout Scripture, God points us to that, to watch what's going on. Okay, and ever since 1948, when Israel became a nation again, things were set in motion. And things and those birth pangs are getting closer and closer together. As we sit here tonight, things are taking place over there that have a direct effect on you and me here in this land. Verse 8, lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. Cry out, lamentation, mourn. Mourn, if you lost everything you had, everything taken away from you, you would be mourning, you would be devastated. I remember with Sandy, some of the kids that I taught, their families, they lost everything. They were devastated. But yet God surrounded them with loving, kind neighbors and people who helped them rebuild their homes, who gave them food and clothing. They came out of the woodwork. They came from all over the country. They experienced God's love in a very, very special way. But here Joel is saying for this area of southern Israel to lament like a virgin, gird it with sackcloth for the husband of her youth that was taken away. Mourn. Mourn for what's going on. Verse 9, the grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn who minister to the Lord. Remember, grain offerings, also meat offerings, drink offerings were brought to the temple. They were offered to God. But without any crop, the cattle were dying. The grain was gone. They couldn't go and offer any more. They didn't have anything to offer. They had a sacrificial system for hundreds of years that they were following. And remember, at this time in Judah, it was a terrible, terrible government that they had. It was unbelievable what was going on. Yet the people in charge still allowed them to go to the temple. Isn't that interesting? They still allowed them to worship their God. Even in the midst of all this stuff that's going on, that was going on back here. Notice the priest mourn who ministered to the Lord. Is that happening today in our country? Are those people, pastors, 
People who represent God before the people, are they in mourning for the condition spiritually of our country? Do we mourn spiritually for the condition of our church? Even this church? Are we concerned with the life of each individual in here with your spiritual growth with the Lord? Is that something that is a passion of ours? Verse 10. The field is wasted, the land mourns, for the grain is ruined, the new wine is dried up, the oil fails. Just reading this for a second for a spiritual application where it says the new wine is dried up, the oil fails. Yes, from an agricultural point of view, there's a devastation. There's no more vineyards. They've been destroyed. But I always think as I get closer and closer to the book of Matthew, with just several books before the book of Matthew, and that gap between the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, it always hits me of that 400 years of silence where God did not speak to the people. And wine in the scriptures is also a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So just think of this. The new wine is dried up. The oil, another symbol of God's Holy Spirit throughout scripture, is dried up. Can you imagine no Holy Spirit? in our lives. Truly, that would be devastation. Truly, that would be a drought. But you and I, through reading His Word, through talking to the Lord, we should be having that experience of that new wine every day, an outpouring of God's Spirit in our lives. Regardless of what's going on. Doesn't matter physically, mentally, spiritually. Keep at it. Keep going. Keep going forward. Verse 11 Be ashamed, you farmers, wail, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine has dried up and the fig tree has withered. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. All the trees of the field are withered. Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. Remember what has brought about this devastation in Joel's day. Little insects. Little insects. A lot of them, but individually, little insects. In your life and my life, it doesn't take much to dry us up, spiritually speaking. Just takes little things. Just little things. You and I would never trip over an elephant. Did you know that? But we would trip over a crack in the sidewalk maybe a little rock on the ground. 
It's the little things that trip us up. It's the little things that multiply. Very similar to these insects that brought destruction back in this day. Be careful of the little things that creep in, that bug you, that help you and I to take our eyes off of Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. The enemy wants us to lose sight of Christ. He wants us to look at the problem, the sickness, the injury, the political situation, the economy, whether it be our own or the nation's. Jesus is the answer. It's that simple. As a coach, we use a KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. That's addressed to the coaches. Keep it simple so that the athletes understand what's going on. Jesus says, keep it simple because He's our Savior. He keeps it simple. He's done it all. We just have to follow Him. It is that simple. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He becomes real to you as you get into His Word, as you hear it, as you read it, as you interact with other Christians and believers, as you touch unsaved lives. He becomes more real. Verse 13, Gird yourselves and lament, you priest. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come lie all night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God, for the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. So here, Joel is calling on the people in the church who are bringing the messages to the people to humble themselves, to repent. to change their ways so that they can lead the people. That is for you and for me. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be an elder. You're a person. You're a child of God. He's calling on you to change your ways. None of us are perfect, but what is it that God's showing us tonight to give to Him, to put at the foot of the cross, to change our ways so we can move Immaturity in the Lord. Don't take that for granted. Have those ears, that hear and those eyes to see and a heart to receive. Verse 14, consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather all the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. I'm sure many of you remember 9-11. And I know Pastor Joe mentions it a lot from the pulpit. How the churches for the next few months were packed. What's happened? What's happened? Our world is in a more serious place than it was back at 9-11. It really is. It's more volatile, it's more unstable than it ever has been. But yet the churches are empty. They're sparse. Notice 
Joel's call is to consecrate a fast. It's probably pretty easy for these people, huh? Well, their vegetation and crops were gone. But what that tells me is, does it have to come to that before you and I fast and pray? Does it have to come to a shortage of something, or can we do it out of our own free will? Call a sacred assembly. God blessed us all by being here tonight. We came out to church in the middle of the week. Come out to church on Sunday. But we know many people, our friends, family, who don't do that, right? Not even once a week. Not even once a month. But yet one of the things that Joel is saying is, get to church. Gather the elders. These are the people who are in authority. These are the people that are supposed to be leading other people. Gather them together and all the inhabitants of the land. It's a collective thing. It's not just one sect of people. It's not just the pastors or elders. It's all of us together. I'm no different than you. We're all saved by grace and the mercy of God. Turn with me to Jonah, chapter 3. I'm going to read a few verses. Heard something that, you know, you hear these messages, whether it be in Daniel or Joel or any of the prophetic messages, there's always a, a dark time. There's always a, it's like a bummer. Like, who wants to hear these things? Isn't it interesting that the Jewish people start their day at night? So they go from darkness to light. And what we do is we start our day in the morning and it gets darker. It's interesting when you think about it spiritually speaking. Because you and I have been delivered from darkness into the light of knowing Jesus Christ. And as we continue to walk with him, things should be getting brighter and brighter and brighter. And then one day when we blink our eyes through what the world calls death, but we open up in the presence of the Lord, we'll, we'll know him as he's known. We'll understand. And that light will be even brighter. But how about the people who are, think they're in the light now and things are just going to get darker and darker and darker. But that's why you and I, I believe, are still on this planet to point people to the light of who is Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at Jonah 3. And this is something that, you know, uh, Jonah is a tremendous book. But I want to pick up in verse 4. It says, And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh be believed God, they proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, 
herd nor flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. God is a long-suffering and loving God. There's no telling what God would do as his, as his people, you and I, would take him serious and get serious, more serious than we've ever been in our relationship with him, and pray, and fast, and fellowship with people on a real basis. Not just, hey, how you doing, how's your week been? But get to know them. Break down the barriers that have been built up which I believe by the enemy and the flesh and the world. God has so much that he wants to do into your heart and my heart. Let's go to verse 15. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Now one of the things that we're going to see is the day of the Lord. And it's mentioned five times in the book of Joel. And the day of the Lord is not a good day. It doesn't start out very good. Well, I shouldn't say that. It actually does start out pretty good. It starts out good for you and for me. Because it's the rapture of the church. But it also sets into motion seven years of tremendous tribulation that the world has never seen or will never see again. We're going to be looking at the day of the Lord as the chapters of Joel progress. Verse 16, Is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seed shrivels under the clods, storehouses are in shambles, barns are broken down, for the grain has withered. How the animals groan. The herds of cattle are restless because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep suffer punishment. O Lord, to you I cry out, for fire has devoured the open pastures, and a flame has burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field also cry out to you, for the water brooks are dried up. And fire has devoured the open pastures. The Romans called the locusts the burners of fields. The burners of fields. Because the devastation that they caused looks like it was just on fire. But these last several verses that I just read. Just look at all the things that have taken place. Just more and more devastation. So much so that the animals even grown out because they don't have any food. My prayer tonight for all of us is that we were grown out for the condition of the souls of men and women in our land. That we would feel that our heart would break like God's heart breaks with the condition of our world. We know in our families 
We know our friends, our relatives. There are some that are lost. May God give us a supernatural groaning inside our spirit that would move us on to works of love and compassion and outreaches to touch these people where they are with the life of Christ that he's given to us. But to do that, we need to be like John the Baptist in the New Testament to get out of the way, to become less so Jesus can become more. That's a daily battle for you and me. We've got to submit ourselves. We've got to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice every single day because of what he's done for us. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.